everyone, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, and today's episode is about helping parents navigate this brave new world we find ourselves in in public education. And I'm bringing this episode to you in two parts. The first part will be my interview with a great guest whom I'll introduce in just a moment. And the second part will be a discussion with my co-host, Mark Meckler, who will be joining me from the road. So let's go ahead and get started with our guest. Her name is Kate Anderson, and she serves as senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, where she is the director of the Center for Parental Rights. Since joining ADF in 2015, Kate has focused on protecting the conscience rights of individuals being unjustly compelled to forfeit their beliefs under threat of government retaliation, heavy fines, or other punishment. Kate, welcome to Crossroads. Thank you for having me. Now, we've asked Kate to join us today to talk about a brand new resource from ADF that has been created for parents. I think you're all going to love it. So before we get into the interview, I want to let you know that you can find this resource online at adflegal.org forward slash resources. It's called Guide to Navigating Gender Ideology in the Classroom. And you'll find other resources there, too, that are great. But, Kate, let's talk about this one. Why did ADF create this resource for parents? Well, kids are important, and so parental rights are important. So we've just been seeing what's going on around the country, um, attacks on parental rights like we've never seen before, particularly in the public schools. And we're hearing from parents every day that just want to know more about how do they stand up for their kids? How do they continue to work with their schools when they're facing uh, school officials, school board members, even teachers that are trying to push them out and hide information from them. So we wanted to create a simple guide to just encourage parents and provide them some tips on how to approach their school. Sure. Now, some parents might think or be tempted to think that it's enough that they're teaching their kids truth at home, their kids are hearing the truth in their local churches. Why should parents be concerned about what the schools are teaching? Well, I'm a parent too, and we're certainly doing everything we can to teach our kids our values at home and lead them to Christ. But they're still seeing things in the public schools uh, that counteract that. And they're spending a significant portion of their day with, um, with teachers that they respect. And so as a parent, I want to be aware, and I know other parents like me want to be aware of exactly what's being taught in the classrooms, um, what's being told to their kids so they can make sure that their values aren't being undercut. Mm -hmm. Now, you said this guide is simple, and I will affirm that it's pretty simple. It goes through three steps for parents, pray up, lead up, and stand up. So let's just walk through those. First, pray up. What do you mean by pray up? What kinds of things do we need to be praying about for our kids? Well, absolutely be praying for our kids. Um, we are believers in Christ, and we know how important it is. God gave us children and gave us a 
responsibility to be the ones to raise them and lead them to him. So um, it's important that we always wrap our children in prayer and all of these issues. So we wanted to lead with that um, and just encourage parents that that is important. They're doing it um, and it's an important part of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's so important for us to remember as parents that God gives us our kids. He places them in our families. It doesn't happen by accident. God divinely chooses the family for each child and places them with us and gives us really the responsibility to act as his ambassadors in their lives. And I think that praying for them faithfully and for all the things that they're encountering and that they'll be able to cling to truth in the midst of a world that today is often so hostile to truth is just um, a fundamental part of our job as parents. Absolutely. Um, it's parents that have the responsibility to raise their kids, a responsibility that's given to us by God. And so that's why parental rights are important in the legal context, because those rights are really about respecting uh, that God-ordained responsibility. If the government is infringing parents' rights, then parents can't fully uh, do what they're called to do. And so just the integrity of the family is important, and that starts with prayer. Yeah. And as parents, we we can appropriately delegate some responsibilities like that of education to others, um, and that's fine, but we need to remember that it is still our responsibility to be overseeing um, what our kids are learning, to be talking to kids about what they're learning, counteracting things that they are hearing that aren't correct when that's necessary. So we can't, you know, com we can't completely uh, get rid of, nor should we want to, um, the incredible responsibility that God has given us to be in charge of nurturing them and raising them up in truth, right? That is so true. And I hear from parents all of the time that have historically worked with their schools in that way. They know it's their responsibility, but they work with teachers uh, well to make sure that their kids are getting a good education. I talk to teachers all the time that are used to that back and forth with parents working together for their kids' education. But what we've been seeing in the country is just a movement um, with some school officials, policies that are being enacted that really don't respect that cooperation at all. Right. And that takes us into the second part of this guide, which is about lead up. The guide says parents have to lead, not follow, when it comes to what their children are learning. That's basically what we've been saying. But tell us a little bit more. What do you mean by that? We just mean get involved. Um, and it doesn't have to be hard or complicated, talk to your kids about what they're learning in school. Look over the papers that come home. Read those long emails that you get from the schools that map out what's happening at the school, what's coming in the next weeks. Schools often put important information in there that uh, let parents know what's really happening. That's where many of our parents have seen some of the new policies mentioned, some of the new curriculum that they're concerned about. Um, and parents have a right to go to their schools and their teachers and ask to see what exactly is being taught in the classroom, what the curriculum is. And I'd encourage parents to take uh, that opportunity and whenever possible, 
find out what's being taught by actually talking to the teachers and looking at the curriculum, um, because then you'll know what's being said in the classroom. Absolutely. Now, the guide talks about something called a gender support plan, and that's when we get into kind of, whoa, this is the brave new world that I mentioned. What is a gender support plan? So I mentioned that there are policies that are spreading through the country that really don't respect parental rights and are damaging to the parent-child relationship and the trust between schools and parents. And this is one of those. We're seeing school after school pass uh, what we call secret social transition policies, and usually they do it through a gender support plan. What this plan does is allow the school or encourage school officials to change a student's name and the pronouns that they identify with at school without ever giving any notice to parents, without ever getting a parent's consent, and in many cases, hiding that information from parents. And we're hearing it both from parents and from teachers who are concerned about being told that they need to lie to parents. Uh, for example, being told that they need to make sure that it's only the student's official name that goes on any document that goes home that the parent could see uh, while using a different name at school, uh, being told that they need to uh, make sure that what goes up to the high school has the official record name because parents might see it while they're calling the child a different name or using opposite sex pronouns with the child at school. Um, this is really dangerous for kids um, and certainly a extreme violation of parental rights. Yeah, I I know to myself and to a lot of our listeners, viewers, that's it's really shocking to think about a school who is supposed to, you know, we tend to think of as our partner, like they're helping me by educating my child, um, to think about them actually undermining um, the parental authority in the life of the child and really taking on a role that is far outside the bounds of what we think of as education. So if, if a parent is listening to this and is like, whoa, I, is that happening in my local school? How do they find out if this is something that's, you know, being done in the local school? What should they be asking and whom should they be asking? They should ask the school if they use gender support plans and they should ask the school if they get notice if their child ever asks to use a different name at school um, and try to find that out from the school district. A lot of these districts post these policies online with their policy handbook. So paying attention to those uh, student handbooks when you sign them at the beginning of the year, but certainly ask the school. We're seeing this happen all across the country in very populated areas as very well as very rural areas. So it's not something that's just happening in certain states um, or certain areas, it's becoming widespread. Um, and some schools are doing it even without a written policy. So we represent a number of parents and teachers who are concerned about this issue. Um, we represent a counselor who is being told that she had to implement these policies, do a gender support plan while not telling parents. Um, she eventually answered honestly questions from a reporter about the school's policy and was fired for that. Um, wow. So we're litigating that case, uh, both on whether she can be fired for telling the truth uh, and whether she can be forced to comply with one of these policies. We also represent a young family and young girl in Wisconsin. Uh, she was dealing with a lot of anxiety, depression. She began to question her gender 
Um, and when she was dealing with this with her family, they got her to a counselor, they were working through it. They told her school that they didn't wanna to rush to anything. They wanted them to continue using her real name, her female pronouns, um, and address her that way while they gave her some time to just figure out what was going on. Uh, and the school absolutely refused, said, we're using a male name, we're using male pronoun, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. They had to pull their daughter from that school. Um, and within about three weeks, she told her mom that all of the affirmation uh, that she was receiving, all of the people telling her that she might not be a girl, that that really, quote unquote, messed me up. Um, so you see the damage that this is doing to kids and the litigation is important on this, but just uh, finding out and advocating against these policies is really important school district to school district. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely parents should be reaching out and asking their schools. You also mentioned the handbook. I know at the beginning of the school year, parents can be inundated with, you know, emails and papers and all this stuff that they're supposed to read don't don't skip that it really is important to read what the school is providing and you know find out what's going on be engaged in that now for me hearing you talk about the cases that adf is litigating in this area makes me really want to do that your third step here which is stand up your guide says that parents should support act policies and act stands for accountability, choice, and transparency. So walk us through each one of those. Accountability, what is that about? So schools need to be held accountable to their responsibilities to kids and to parents. They need to be honest with parents, share information, and never hide important information about a child from their parents. Um, so just keeping those schools accountable by speaking out when those things happen. Um, certainly, if you're dealing with any of this in your school district, look at this guide, but reach out to ADF because we are actively litigating cases on this issue. Um, but just knowing and holding your school accountable, going to school board meetings, talking to administrators, talking to other parents, that's all incredibly important in this, in this issue. Yeah, and that really gets us back to this whole idea of we are we are delegating the education piece in the role of our parenting to these schools, but it is up to us to hold them accountable because if no one's holding them accountable, they're just going to do, you know, whatever they want to do or perhaps um, more aptly, they're going to do what, you know, special interest groups or, you know, the um, winds of politics wants them to do. So we have to be involved in holding them accountable. The next one is choice. Talk us about what you mean by um, choice policies. Well, they sort of blend together, but when you're holding schools accountable, um, when we get to the transparency issue, when you're finding out what's going on in your school, that gives you meaningful choices about how to raise your child, how to handle things with the school. So we wanna make sure parents have the information so that they can make meaningful choices about their children's education. Um, within the public schools, and there are still great public schools and great public schools teachers, um, using opt-out opportunities. So if you're seeing lessons when you ask for curriculum that you're concerned about, go to the school and say, I want my child out of that particular lesson because I'm concerned about it, I'll do that at home. Um, so there are opt-out opportunities um, that do play into choice even within the public schools. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then the final piece is transparency. Talk about transparency policies. 
transparency is so important and we're even seeing many states move at the state law to try to enact more protections uh, for transparency in education. And this is really about parents being able to get access to what's going on in their kids' classrooms, to be able to get curriculum, to ask questions, to be involved so that they can see what's happening and then they can make the meaningful choices and then they can hold their schools accountable to do the right things by their kids and to respect their rights. Sure. Now, Kate, let's say we have a parent listening right now who's thinking, man, I have dropped the ball. I haven't been involved. I have no idea about the state laws that govern education in my state. I have no idea what the school board is doing, what policies are in place, but I'm concerned and now I'm convinced that I need to engage. How would you recommend they get started? You know, how did they just find out about just the basic laws and policies, how the school board functions and how they can get involved? Well, I'd say first that you're in good company. There are many parents that are finding themselves in that situation and that's okay. Um, but I just encourage you to get involved. Um, and I think I'd start by talking to your kids more about what they're learning in school and reading those emails. Then go talk to their teachers, talk to other parents and look around among other parents. You can even look in the news and see if there are parent groups forming in your area that are concerned about certain issues. That will give you a lot of information talking to other parents. But I'd start with the emails and talking to your kids and then just move on from there. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, Kate, is there anything, I know we don't have that much time left, but um, is there anything else you would want to say to parents trying to navigate this brave new world in the public education system? What other advice would you give them? Um, well, I would just encourage parents that you're not alone. There are a lot of parents trying to figure this out, and we're seeing and hearing from them that they're banding together, that they're trying to support each other. So look for other parents in your community um, and work together to improve your schools. Um, connect with those good teachers. I'd also underscore that school board elections are more important than they've ever been. Um, you're seeing uh, school officials running for office that really want to respect parental rights to ensure that kids are getting a good quality education and that nothing is being hidden from parents. So look for those campaigns, understand who's running for school board and use your vote to make a difference in your kids' schools. I think that's a really important point on this as well. Absolutely, that's so important. And Kate, finally, where can people go if they want to find out more about the work that ADF is doing, either in the area of parental rights and creating these guides and, you know, I know model policies and things, but also about some of the important cases that you're litigating? Where can people go to find out about them and maybe to support your work? Well, ADF is very dedicated to this issue. So we have a full litigation team. We're working um, with the legislatures on this um, and certainly building out guides to try to do everything we can to support parents. This is a critical issue in our generation right now. And so um, I'd welcome people to come to our website to find out more. There's information on our cases as well as guides and various tips and we're building out more all the time. So keep checking back. Um, but you can find all of that information on our website at ADF Legal dot org.
Great. Kate Anderson, thank you so much for being with us today. I personally am so grateful for the work that you are doing and the work that ADF as a whole is doing. It's so important um, to our nation. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on this. So now I have my faithful co-host Mark Meckler joining me to help us make sense of all of this and talk about what we just heard from Kate Anderson. So first question I have to ask Mark, did you ever think that parents would need a guide for navigating gender ideology in the classroom? <laughs> not only did I not think it ever, I didn't think that maybe three years ago or four years ago. I mean, I knew the schools had gotten bad. And this is, by the way, both public and private schools. I knew there was woke stuff being taught. What I really didn't understand and I would have never believed is that there would be some kind of wall of secrecy between the schools and the parents. And this is just an outrageous thing. Those of us who've raised kids might have grown now considered the schools our partners in educating our kids. And we worked with the teachers. We knew the teachers. Sometimes there were difficulties, but it was no problem. We always knew what the kids were being taught. We never felt like the schools were keeping secrets from us. Again, we weren't always happy, but it was always a give and take partnership. And the idea that thou, this has now become an adversarial relationship, that idea in itself is stunning to me. Yeah. And, you know, Kate alluded to this, but I want to make sure we mention and talk about the fact that there are state legislatures out there that are working to counteract this. And in fact, I just reviewed this morning uh, a draft of legislation in South Carolina that our Convention of States grassroots team is going to be supporting. But the legislation basically forbids the schools to try to hide this stuff from parents and make sure that parents are always empowered to get this information from the schools. So uh, do you think that's what needs to be happening now more and more in the states? I think it absolutely needs to be happening. It is, and it's not just South Carolina, and I'm glad the legislators are doing that. But what we're talking about is something that's much more insidious. When you have schools that are directly and openly promoting lying to parents about their children, and let's be direct about work, that is exactly it. They're going to hide stuff. They're going to lie to parents. They're going to send things home to parents with the actual name of kids on it when they're using a different name in schools. And we're talking about people who are willing to do that. State legislative action is not going to be enough. And that's why I think some of the stuff that Kate's talking about, which is direct parental action to protect the kids, that's really what's going to be necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the points of this whole program, as you know, Mark, is to encourage our audience and equip them to get engaged, to go out there and and so um, what do you think holds parents back getting engaged? Because we know that, you know, traditionally it's a very small minority of parents who actually engage with their school boards. And I do think we've seen some improvement in that. But what do you think generally holds parents back? I think it comes in two layers. I mean, I think the first layer is just simply practical, which is most parents, kids of school or parents of school age kids, they're busy. They're dropping their kids off at school. Usually they're going off to a job somewhere or caring for younger children at home. And so when they drop their kids off at school, that's a period of time 
when they're doing the other things that they need to do in their lives, like earning a living or raising younger kids who are not yet school age kids. And so just from a time constraints issue, that's difficult. School board meetings are held in the evenings. Uh, normally families are home in the evenings. They're dealing with soccer practice or band practice or whatever it is, or just having dinner as a family. So I know from having done it here in Texas, going to school board meetings, it takes up evenings. It's time away from family time that already seems precious and limited. And then I think the second is just lack of confidence. And I think this is good what Alliance Defending Freedom is doing is giving people the tools. Well, if I want to know, what do I do? Who do I ask? Mm -hmm. How do I ask? What do I do if I go to a school board meeting? You know, what does it mean to demand accountability? Or what does it mean to ask for transparency? And parents don't know. They know they don't like what's going on, but they're not exactly sure what steps to take. So having the tools and the knowledge of understanding what is it that I'm going to do if I'm going to challenge this stuff, I think right now that's a barrier. I think ADF is helping to remove that barrier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other thing I want to ask you about is for the parents who are engaged, who are involved, or who are about to get involved because they're concerned about this, what are some of the pitfalls for them? Because I know you and I have both observed people doing this well, whether it's in their state legislatures testifying before committee hearings or whether it's at the school board level. We've seen people do it well. We've also seen people do it pretty badly. So yeah. tell us about some of the pitfalls for people to avoid. Um, let's just help really equip them to do it well. Yeah, I think one of the most important things to remember for us and for, for our viewers and listeners here is to act like a Christian. I do as we're instructed to do. And what I would say that means is be direct, be forthright, be firm in your beliefs, but do that in a way that's polite and, and try to be kind at all times. I understand the level of frustration and that people get angry. I get that. I'm angry about this stuff, too. But it is less effective to go to a school board meeting and just yell at people than it is to, in your two minutes allotted or three minutes or whatever they give you, to have something written out, to lay it out clearly and cogently, examples of what's going on, why you think it's wrong and what you expect them to do. That kind of cogent testimony or cogent discussion is what helps move the ball forward, not the screaming and yelling. Yeah, I, I would reiterate that being brief and succinct is really helpful and having something written out really helps people to do that. We've seen so many people do this and it, it's it's just a consistent thing that if you have sort of an outline at least, it helps you stay on point. And yeah. talking for a long, long time is not helpful because people will stop listening to you at some point, right, Mark? Yeah, and look, it's important to understand you as an individual, just you personally, especially if you're at a public forum, you're not going to convince the school board to do something different. It's the weight of evidence and the weight of opinion presented by everybody. So if you're there with other parents and you can be hitting different points and everybody sounds cogent and organized and understandable, that has a lot more impact than a bunch of people just getting up at the microphone and being angry. It also looks like you're somebody who might run for the school board. If you're well-spoken and you're calm and articulate, now you actually become a threat to the school board. They can't just dismiss you as some lunatic who came up and yelled at them. Yeah, and I just wanna say one more thing on this point, going back to what you said about being Christ-like in the way that you just so just keep in mind that 
there's no reason to be offensive. You can state your beliefs and, you know, what is relevant for you to say in order to persuade others without being mean-spirited, hostile, or needlessly offensive, right? And you're going to be more persuasive if you are kind and respectful, even when you're stating an opinion that's directly opposite of those you're talking to. Yeah, and I, there's a line here that is difficult sometimes to understand that, I, that uh, at least my position on it is what they're doing to these kids is actually child abuse. And that sounds like a very harsh thing to say, but I believe it's kind because it is the truth. When you take a child who's confused, say, about their gender, sexually confused, you hide that from their parents, you encourage that further confusion, that's abusing that child. And so I have no problem going in and saying to these people, look, the things that you're doing, I believe can be categorized as child abuse. That's reality. If I scream it at them, you guys are a bunch of freaking child abusers, that's not helpful. But if I say, look, when you take a confused kid and you continue to confuse them and add to their confusion, that is a form of child abuse. I think that's legitimate and appropriate to say things like that. I would agree with that. Mark, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you one last question. Are societies having this big transgender moment? Do you think we're going to see the tide turn anytime soon? I think we are seeing the tide turn right now. I think we're seeing parents stand up. I think we're seeing folks in the media stand up. I think we're seeing kids and adults who've been abused by this ideology step out and speak out against it. Look, there is not a person of sane mind in the United States of America that believes in this ideology. And I'll take it one step further, Rita, and I think this is really important. I don't think there is such thing as quote unquote trans ideology or trans people. You can't transition from one gender to another. There are people who maybe are confused legitimately, people in a form of mental illness that believe they're the wrong gender and you know in the wrong body, that that's a form of actual mental illness. They need treatment. There are men who fantasize about being women and women who fantasize about being men who are acting out on that. I would argue that also that form of perversion is also a form of mental illness in our society. But I think it's really important that we as Christians keep our language clear. People say you deny the existence of trans people. And my answer is yes, I actually do deny that. That's not reality. And I'm going to stick with reality. I'm going to have a Christian heart. I'm going to say I feel for people who are confused like that. But they're not trans. They're people who are confused about their gender and their sexuality. All right. Well, Mark, that's going to have to do it for today. I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881. Harrisonburg 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads where faith and culture meet.